Leader Talk. 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 Hi everyone, my name is Natalie Dawson. Welcome to Leader Talk. This show is proudly brought to you by Brainiac. Each week we are meeting with incredible leaders from around the world to discuss all things leadership and business insights. Each person coming on this talk show has given up their valuable time for one very clear purpose, to give back to small and medium business owners. Many of us will agree that turning our dreams into reality requires passion, commitment and sacrifice. It is hard work, but these key ingredients will lead us to success. Today, my co-host, CEO of Peerlight, Gus Arianto and I are fortunate to chat to our guest speaker, Kari Baines, founder, director, and chief vision officer at Different Strokes Swimming. Kari has had an impressive career in the media industry, and it wasn't until the age of 54 that Kari decided to leave a successful career and start her own business, Different Strokes Swimming. Kari is here today to share with us her secrets on what it takes to not only follow your passion and dreams, but then also turn your passion into reality. Through running her own successful business, Kari believes that our ability to glide during stormy moments will make us swim faster towards our success. Welcome to the show, Kari. Oh, thank you, Natalie. What a pleasure to be here. Hello, Kari. Nice to see you again. Lovely to see you, Gus. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We're privileged. Thank you for donating your time. And look, Harry, My all pleasure. the guests that we have on Leader Talk, we always start our show with asking them two fun questions. So we have yours prepared. So the first one that I'd like to ask is, who is your favourite superhero and why? Oh, okay. Well, that's uh, Pippi Longstocking. Um, she's a she's a character from the Astrid Lindgren books, and uh, I read all her books when I was a child, and. Um, and the reason why is I, I guess I, she resonates with me because I'm half Danish and it's a Swedish uh, story. She's a Swedish author. Um, but she's an amazing girl who doesn't suffer fools, um, particularly adult fools. Um, she's got super strengths and can lift a horse. She lives by herself and she's quite wild and sassy. And, you know, she's everything that a young girl would want to be. Um, she wears her hair out with pigtails out here. Um, and she lives a fantastic life and she's very kind. She's very kind to her um, next door neighbours and children next door and the animals. Um, yeah, and she's got super strength and she's she's got fantastic stories. She's a great storyteller. I love that. It's not, she's not even thought of as a superhero, but really she is, isn't she? Yeah, she is. Yeah, she is. I totally adore her. Yeah. That's oh, fantastic. It's the first one we've had on Leader Talk, so... <laughs> Yes, the first superheroes. <laughs> and what about, Carrie, if you were stuck on a deserted island for three months, who would you take with you and why? One person. Well, I'd have to say my partner, George. Um, and we've, we've done virtually, we've virtually done it in lockdown, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> it kind of feels like a desert island uh, when you're in lockdown. Um, but besides the fact that he's my partner, um, he, he teaches uh, construction and engineering. So I figured that would come in very handy on a desert island um, sort of <laughs> <laughs> a shelter. Strategic, uh, strategic. And we're both swimmers, so we could do a lot of swimming around the island. And um, he's a pretty mean gardener as well. So, uh, yeah, I think we'd be we'd be okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're sick. <laughs> what a great answer. Um, Carrie, before we go on to uh, the questions, uh, we were hoping you could tell everyone just a bit more about yourself. Sure. Um, so I, um, as you touched on, um, run a, a swim school called Different Strokes Swimming. We specialise in adult learn to swim programs um, all the way through to uh, open water. Uh, we've got the whole journey um, for adults. It started with an idea and uh, and so and, and came at the back end of a, a long corporate career in uh, media sales primarily and it's, it was an idea that blossomed out of a passion and um, and it's been built up. It's been going now for seven years almost, um, which is kind of extraordinary when I think about it. Um, and, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's born out of love and passion um, 
and we've done a lot to help a lot of people. We've had over 300 and, sorry, 3,000 odd people go through our program and um, they're all adults, largely uh, new Australians or migrants um, who are learning to swim for water safety or um, as part of their assimilation into Australian society. Um, but our squad program has a very long fo- a loyal following as well, and um, it's um, it's it's a fun business to be in. Hmm. And you know what I find really interesting? I did some background research um, ahead of the show, and you know it says here at one of your bios, it says that you are someone who actually learned to swim freestyle at the age of forty eight. That's and following following that in twenty nineteen, you've competed in a 10K uh, Lake Argyle swim, which was in a in a relay swim. You've also done a 14K a solo swim, a 10K solo swim. It's just incredible. Where did that passion come from? It's a really um, interesting question, Natalie. It, it doesn't, you know, I think people sometimes think a passion just ignites straight away. It's not. It's a slow burn. And it, it, is, a, it is a passion that kind of came from a guy that I worked with who should um, – Really, I, I acknowledge to take a lot of credit because John was a magnificent uh, teacher and he taught me out of the kindness of his heart um, every week, rain, hail or shine, to swim freestyle. I looked like a dog in a washing machine when I started and um, he he managed to make something of that for me and between the two of us we, we got me to 20 laps over 18 months continuously and then I joined a master's club and I'm quite competitive and so I started to compete. I'd never had a sports background before, I might add. You know, my my history in terms of recreational activities was the arts and reading. It wasn't sports at all. So this is was a whole new territory to me. Um, and, you know, having coaches and all of this was just like a completely different world. Um, but I joined a master's club and made quite a lot of friends through the club and um, one of them has become my, you know, swim buddy and she encouraged me into open water swimming and she nudged me along. And, and for her, I, you know, I'm forever grateful because she has encouraged me to do all these long swims and things that I, you know, I'm quite fearful of sharks and surf and she's just helped me overcome a lot of that and um, and got me there. So, yes. Um, but, you know, those swims uh, take time and training and, you um, you know, I've—I I guess it's a bit of a metaphor for life. I've—I've I've done swims uh, without training and felt the pain, and I've done swims where I've trained properly and felt magnificent at the end. So um, I guess you know, as with business or with life, if you don't put the strategy and the work in and the thoughtfulness into it and the planning. Um, it can all go to custard, as I say to my students. Um, and, and you know, my first 10K solo swim in Lake Windermere, Northern England, I didn't train. I went by the seat of my pants and thought I could pull it out of the bag. Um, I remember being wide at the marshalling area and um, having, uh, and I stupidly told them I was from Australia, so they interviewed me as well, which was even worse because I just wanted to die a thousand deaths and I really hoped the swim would be cancelled because I hadn't trained properly and the weather had been so bad. Um, but they ran it and then they interviewed me before I went in, which made me feel even worse because there's a lot of high hopes for Australian swimmers all around the world, um, which, of course, I was never going to live up to. And um, it was a very stressful swim and um, quite problematic for me and it took a lot of strong uh, thinking to, to overcome it. I was about to bail out of it and I kept going. But I came out of that swim and I couldn't lift my arm for three days and um, it just showed that, that you can actually do personal, da- you know, physical damage to yourself if you don't train properly. And um, as I guess it's a bit like business really. If you, if you don't uh, think it through and have strategy, you can also have damage. Such an inspirational story. Thank you. It gives us hope. Uh, Jared, my husband, uh, he wants... Uh, the idea to run a marathon we've got a cut off of 40 and I went I can't but then I see this and I'm like it's it just it's incredible you know you couldn't even swim I can run so I have that it's just such a beautiful story so thank you for sharing oh my pleasure my pleasure yes it's it really has set me up for life and look, with your experience, we really want to touch on leadership because you've gone from, you know, News Corp to running your own business. 
So going from a very senior executive role in a very large company to obviously running your business, has your overall view of leadership changed at all? No. No, I don't think I don't think there's any difference in leadership. And I don't think leadership's necessarily uh, restricted to just the person that heads the organisation. I think leadership can be at any level and anyone can be a leader. And, you know, I hope that my team in their way and are leaders as well, you know, when they're running their class, they're leading that class, they're the leader. You know, um, I, when I'm, you know, running my business, I'm the leader of certain aspects. But, you know, leadership is... Um, is, is something that whether you're working in a large corporate or, or a small business, the same principles apply in my view. And um, I think, you know, my for me the, the key qualities in leadership are about authenticity, about clarity of message, um, about being able to walk the talk. You know, I've never asked anyone to do anything I wouldn't do myself. Um, so, you know, you and, and not seeing myself as above anybody else you know we're, we're all in a team together everyone has a role to play it's always a team effort Kari can I ask a question you know when you when, when you mentioned that you know the, the three that you just mentioned you know authenticity uh, do what you say and also uh, what what's the second one authenticity clarity. And, clarity. Clarity of message. and clarity uh, is that something we can learn or is that something that people born with it No, of course. no, no, no. I think you can definitely learn it, um, and I think you know. For me, it's it's probably become. It was always true in in a bigger business because you have a vision of what your area or your responsibilities are, the mission for your particular department. In a small business, it becomes even it's crystallized even more because you are you are. Um, You are what your your business is. You know, you, your business is you. It's they're integrated, because as a figurehead in the business, you're you're the face of the business. You are the business. You know, um, and particularly at the early stages. I mean, obviously, when you um, become a much orga larger organization, it's not always it doesn't always follow. But still, even so, Rupert Murdoch is news. You know. Uh, Tim Cook is Apple. Like the it, it, those those people are still the face of the business, um, but they have a lot of other people too that that it resonates with. But for me, I think um, it is that it's the same wherever, whichever whichever business size you're in, you need to be um, cognizant of those key elements. To, in my opinion, to be a successful leader. It's fantastic. And, um, Carrie, I wanted to touch on your title. Like you've got founder director and the one that really um, stood out for me was chief vision officer. Can you briefly explain the meaning behind this? Because I don't see this often. I, I don't yeah. see this often in corporation, I in whatever it is, someone actually put, I'm a chief vision officer. Yes. Look, which is amazing. I, I think it was a throwaway line from Simon Sinek when I went to one of his workshops. Um, it, it really, when I heard it, I just thought I want that for my business because, again, when I was saying what I was saying earlier about you need to be on message, you need to have a vision. And if you don't have a vision for your business, you're not going to go anywhere. And one of my mentors at News Corp once said to me, A business is is it it's never stagnant. It either goes backwards or it goes forwards. So, for me, it's never going to go forward if you don't have a vision. So, I and I would like everyone that works with me and and my team do share in my vision for the business. So, we're all vision officers. I just might be the chief one. You know, they all share the vision. We're all passionate about getting adults learning to swim, adults healthy, adults having a much better relationship with the water, adults feeling safe in the water. You know, we do actually save lives. <laughs> you know, we stop people drowning. Um, and we are passionate about that. Uh, the, the team and I are totally passionate about helping adults find their way with the water and all things aquatic. And they share the vision with me. 
That's interesting. And then, Carrie, how would you, is there any tips or tricks you have for actually keeping this passion alive to actually align everyone with the vision? Because it's one thing having a vision, but then to see people act it out and clearly everyone that works there in your eyes is a, you know, a, a vision officer, which is, it's a really nice way to see a vision come to life. Oh, and also, I, I, I want to add into that, you know, if you're passionate about your own business, that's normal. But because that's your own business, mm-hmm. but to to have your team, to have your staff, to mm-hmm. have people that is inside your business to be as passionate as you are, require a strategy, maybe I call it strategy. Do you mind to share that? You know, how uh, do you? Yeah, okay. I think, well, first of all, to answer Natalie's question, how do I keep my own passion alive? And look, it's not easy, right? It's You can't be on and passionate the whole time, you know? It's like in your marriage, right? You know, like you're passionate, but <laughs> there's times when you yeah. really, that passion is getting a bit thin, uh, you know, and I think it's it's the same it is the same um with a small business or any business that passion has its moments so for me what i do is and i did this actually also when i worked at news um so for me in the swimming business i go swimming so for me to reignite my passion i need to go and do a nice long swim or get back into swimming in a relaxed way to get as i call it get my mojo back you know just feel the water swim where I like to swim, no pressure, just get back into the rhythm of it and maybe hang around with some of my swimming community, get the vibe again. And then the other thing I do is go and spend time teaching because it's my clients that actually feed me and keep me going. You know, their their excitement, their um, uh, absolute disbelief that they could actually realise their swimming goals, um, those are the things that, that help remind me why I, I do and my team does what we do. You know, that's that's what helps to keep my passion alive. And interestingly enough, when I worked at News Corp, I used to sometimes go and sit in the um, call centre um, downstairs with the guys and just hear how they were going making calls and they'd be a bit shocked to see me come down, you know, two or three levels and sit, pull up a chair next to them. And then I used to say to them, give me, give me some calls. I want to make some calls. I love cold calling. Give me a sheet. I'm just going to sit here and make some calls with you. Let's do it together. Let's have a little race. Let's see how it is. Let's have a little comp, you know. And I think just being with the team, sitting with the team, you know, doing the calls, getting getting back with, with your people, getting back with your customers, that's what helps keep you or keeps my passion alive anyway. And, think- and, and this is important important point in my opinion, mm-hmm. whether you are running your own business, whether you are in the corporation, mm-hmm. uh, we all, uh, not we all, many will agree with me that when the career goes up, mm-hmm. we forgot why we are there in the first place. That's right. In my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. You, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love your example of uh, at one point, you managing hundred and hundred sales team mm. for you, mm. and you were one of them mm. uh, at the start of your journey. Doing the cold calls, you mentioned to me. Yeah. Uh, well, you will lose your passion of managing sales team if you disconnect to what a sales team do every day, because you will be frustrated listening to sales team saying, "Yeah." Exactly, and I think. Um, one of the one of the um, things that I did start up at, at News Corp was a group called Rising Stars. So these were the people that weren't the successful sales guys. These were the guys whose numbers were lagging. These were the guys who were kind of at the bottom end of the sales team in terms of performance. And so we did it. I started on a Friday morning. I said, come in early and we're going to have breakfast together and we're going to do rising stars because I said you're going to be rising stars and we used to just do role plays and go through sales skills everyone to bring their coffee in and then it got a lot of momentum and some of the some of the high performers wanted to come in and join I was like no 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 it's rising stars and so we ended up ended up getting this team but it they loved it they used to come in early on Friday mornings and we'd go through rising stars and again you know they might have had I was the sales director that have their own sales managers and other people that reported into me, but I wanted to take that team on and I wanted to sit with them and do rising stars, you know, 
Um, and again, it's a way of reconnecting and for them to see that I'm, as, you know, like anybody, I can come and sit down and, and, and do role plays with you and help you improve your sales skills. Yeah, I think it's a great, you know, I can relate to that because you're so, you know, running a business, you're often so busy doing all the, the meetings, the runarounds, you know, meeting prospective clients, the lead generation and all that kind of stuff. But then when you actually do what you love, you know, when the whole team, for us, it's writing. So when I actually get to write something, there's usually a message to the team or I contact someone going, I actually got to write today. It's exciting. And it sounds like yeah. you're the same when it comes to swimming. Yeah. You know, it reignites that passion. It's the reason you do everything. And it, you just need that little bit um, to remind you how fun it is. And then, you know, you're back on track again. Well, I think the thing is, Natalie, if you're not excited about the business, how can you expect anyone else to be excited about the business? You can't. It's you know you you can't expect your team or your clients to be excited if you're not excited. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. You know you know clearly, um, Carrie, you're really a great a great leader. And what I'd love to know is this: How do you continue to grow and develop? You've had such a wonderful a wonderful um, career. Yeah, do you have any tips and tricks? that you can share with everyone? Because we'd love to continue learning just like you have. Look, I try different things. So when we had lockdown and I couldn't swim, which I might add nearly killed me, um, I took up cycling and running. So I, you know, and I'm not a runner. I couldn't run 500 metres before I did the couch to 5K. Um, I didn't get to the 5K, so I have to put my hand up and confess I haven't finished it. I still have to, I've still got work to do, but I took up running and I've never run. Um, and I took up cycling. I, I've owned a beautiful bicycle in my garage that I've ridden four times in seven years. Um, so I took up cycling and in the end was sort of doing 22K cycles around the bay in in Sydney. So, and that was a whole new world for me. And so then I sort of joined this community and I started hanging out with the cyclists at the cafe with my friends that were, you know, sort of chaperoning me as I was learning to cycle. And I was like looking at how this community kind of interacts, which is a whole different world to me, a different tribe. Um, And I I do different things. At the moment, I'm, I'm doing acting. I'm doing an acting course. Um, I learn to, I'm writing a book, I'm doing different. So I think if you explore different areas of life, you, you, you run the risk often in small business because you are it, it is you, it's your baby. You become very two dimensional. It's the business and it's a family. And that happens in corporate life. I remember my family saying, you know, friends saying, Carrie, you know, I know you work for musical, but, you know, we're here too. Um, so it is, it's very easy to become two-dimensional. And I think if you become two-dimensional as a leader, your thinking becomes very narrow and you need to broaden your thinking. So I read widely. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I um, follow specific individuals. I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. I'm a, you know, I um my business mentor who I am very, I, I, I met her when she was starting out, but I follow her closely through social media and so forth. It's Ronnie Khan from Oz Harvest, who I think is an amazing leader. Um, so I look at, I, I get lots of input. Um, I do workshops. I hire consultants to give me input. I'm open. I think you've got to be open. I'm open to ideas. I learn from my team. So I often will go and shadow my team and learn how they're doing things and go, well, that's a different way of teaching kicking. That's a different way of stroke correction. Why are you doing that? Oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, I'm upgrading my own qualifications. I'm going into um, I'm doing the bronze coaching license or the developmental coaching license now for swim coaching. So there's, I'm always on the path of learning. And I think once you stop learning, you... Your, your days as a leader, as a good leader, are numbered because if you don't, the world's changing quickly. I mean, that's been going on since time immemorial. Um, but I think if you don't open yourself, you're not receptive to new ideas and to new learnings, new ways of thinking about things, new ways of communicating, new ways that communities interact, um, then you're going to be very limited. And, of course, really? I do. And I, I just finish one thing, Gus. And, and the other thing is I think that I do 
all the things that are stock standard. I, you know, I network with my peers in the industry. I um, look at what they're doing. I look at related industries and see what they're doing, you know, what, what, what's happening in cycling, what's happening in running, what's happening in triathlons, what's happening here, how are those organisations setting up, what sort of events are they putting up. So I look at all of that. But to me, that's the basics. Like every leader should be doing that regardless. But then I, you'd like to do additional activities. Hmm. So you do, you have a business teaching people how to swim. Hmm. You swim yourself. Hmm. You do running. You do reading. Mm. You do acting class. Mm. Uh, you have private coaching. Mm-hmm. Do you watch Netflix? And, and I'm I, no, no, I'm also <laughs> uh, I'm on a, I'm on a committee, uh, a couple of committees. Um, yeah, so I've got a, I've got a few things going on. Yeah. I think I think what you said that really resonates to me. Uh, when you do and explore different things as a leader, you real not only you learn something. You actually expanding your leadership. Um, I want to share something that is really, really true. So, uh, when we start our leader tour, and, and then we also, I also have my website, one bowl of rice. Uh, I never knew how difficult, <laughs> difficult to even open a website. You know, to have my own website mm-hmm. because in the corporation, I just ask my marketing team. Uh, what happened with our website. And then I got 10 people working on it, right? And I always said, how come it take days just to do that? Mm. And then it took me months just to register a name. Uh, I said to Natalie, I said, one thing I learned, which is resonate to what you say, uh, the way I look at my marketing team today is different mm. because I understand the time taken to do such a simple thing. Uh Tell me about it, Gus. Setting up your own business. When I first set this business up, I wanted. Well, when I first set this business up, my partner said to me, um, "What are you going to do, Kari?" Like, so I hired Elaine and an instructor, and he said, "So, what are you going to do?" I said, "Well, of course, I'm going to manage it." He's like, "Well, but you've got nothing to manage." But I'm a manager. Like, that's what I do. I've got this great idea. Now I'm going to manage it. And he's like, but there's nothing. Like, what is there? I, you need more than that. And I realized he was right. And I went and got my qualifications and became a swim instructor as well. And then I started teaching. But then I realized, like Gus was saying, you know, I wanted to ring IT when my computer broke. And there was no <laughs> IT. I wanted to ring 2777, the internal discussion. When I had to hire people, I had to you know, learn all about HR and, you know, find, I ended up spending a lot of money on people getting experts in those fields to help me because I was completely at a loss. How do you set up an employment agreement? How do you, how do you work out which is the right insurance I should have for my business? Because we're in the aquatic space. It's not just simple, you know, there's specialized insurance for people like us. Um, how do I design a website? I put that out and got some people in the United States to make my website, you know. And then when my when I got a letter um, after it was set up a few months later, I got an email at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon from the Attorney General's department telling me to shut it down because it was emanating viruses all through the country. I didn't know, again, I didn't know what to do. I had to get hold of, you know, super sleuth, you know, people in the United States to help me fix my website to stop, you know, Um, I might add the Attorney General's Department is very impressed with how quickly I resolved the issue. But, um, you know, all of these were huge learnings for me. I've had to learn all these new skills, you know, bookkeeping, zero accounting, financial management. Um, you know, my accountant wrapped me over the knuckles about my expenditure in the early days on marketing. She kept saying to me, you don't have a News Corp marketing budget. Because coming from a big corporate, I was so used to all the zeros, they meant nothing to me, you know. I, I don't mean that in a in a glib way. I was just at, when you work for news, everything's got three zeros behind it, you know. So for me, it just it was just kind of a, a huge reality check to sort of suddenly kind of come back down to earth and go, you're running a small business, and you need to start really thinking very carefully about your expenditure, 
about making sure that you've got your governance right, making sure that you have your contracts in place, you've got the right insurances, um, you know, you get your BAS statement done properly, all of those things um, is a huge learning. When all yes, you know, so. I came as a sales leader, not a not a financial controller or an HR expert. They weren't my sort of designated areas, you know. So, to our audience, if you're listening to this, uh, please understand that if you run a small business, you have to be kind to yourself because, according to Curry, come from a major major company, what you're doing is much more complex than what you think because everything you are responsible. So be kind to yourself because it is complex. It, it is complex. It is absolutely complex. And I have had more sleepless nights running this business than I ever had having to give a six-hour presentation to the CEO of News Corp, you know. And, you would, and in those days I thought that was going to be tough. But this is, you know, small business is tough. I had no idea before I got into it. And then, you know, I got into a business in an industry that I had no experience in. You know, I'd be lining up next, along the pool deck next to guys that, you know, were ex-champion swimmers looking at me going, who's she? You know, she learned to swim, you know, five years ago. You know, like, who's she coming here teaching adults how to swim? But now those guys and I work well together and um, through, you know, a number of factors within the industry we've sort of set up what I jokingly call the Ministry of Swimming, where I'm basically the president now. So those guys come to me for sort of support and advice, um, and we work in a very collegiate way in terms of um, how we can manage our relationships in in the industry. And um, I've realised that, you know, my corporate skills have come in handy even in the aquatic space because, most people that come as into this area come from the ground up as swimmers and I've come the other way. So, yeah. Carrie, I have no doubt that lots of small and medium business owners that are listening can relate because I sure can. When you talk about the employment contracts, zero, baz, bookkeeping, it's like for it, you're always learning. There's some question that you're always researching or it's just it, it's a really different side. I mean, I've come from corporate, very different again, yeah. and, you know, running a business. I, I hear you and I know a lot of people out there, maybe they've started their business, you know, uh, just they've got a business and they've never come from corporate and, you know, sometimes they are too hard on themselves. And I think, Gus, what you said is be kind to yourself. It is very true. Yeah. So. Thank you for the honesty. I have no doubt that everyone out there is listening going, oh, I can relate to that. Uh, but, Kari, I want to uh, change the direction of the um, discussion on sales because, you know, sales, you've come, you've had a huge sales background. We'd love to know what do you think are the top three attributes of a successful sales team? Because small, medium, business owners, large, whoever you are, we all have to sell, right? That's right. And you've got heaps of experience what are some tips and tricks you can share with us okay first of all sales team I think the most important aspect is the team so if you've been watching Ted Lasso and I guess I do watch a bit of Netflix if you've been watching Ted Lasso I actually I think he's on Apple TV um (laughs) you'll learn all about team um And I think team is very important. So when I was going through my time as a sales leader, there were various schools of thought, particularly around incentive structures, about whether it should be individualised or team-based. And I've always leant towards a team-based incentive structure. I think um, everyone needs to work together and help each other um, and have a less um, overtly um, competitive environment. Um, otherwise, you know, I've seen sales floors where sales people are fighting over leads and accounts, and because they're bigger revenue generators, and um, and I don't, I'm not a fan of that. So I, I I like a team to work together and support each other, and work to a, a single goal, you know, a monthly target or a quarterly target, however your organisation is structured. Um, I think. Uh, the other thing for a sales team is that they need you need to realise that everything in life, including in swimming, is measured. Um, so you need to get your baseline, work out what, what your, where your numbers are now, and then, you know, sales is largely a numbers game. 
it is about, you know, if you see X number of people, ultimately you're going to convert one of them into a warm lead and then they're going to convert into a sale. Um, so it is numbers, you know, how, however many, you know, if you're doing a marketing, if you take a step back and you're doing your SEO work, which is another thing I've had to learn, <laughs> if you do your SEO work, you know, you, you learn that, you know, how many clips and page impressions come through, then they become a contact and then the contact, you know, it's a funnel. Um, and then it's about the conversion rates and that's where the sales team come in. Um, so it is about numbers. Um, and if I use an analogy in swimming, you know, when we talk about uh, numbers, it's about the number of strokes. It's about the glide, which we'll talk a bit, I'll tell you a bit more about the glide afterwards. But um, I think uh, so So numbers. And I guess the, the other part of it is hard work. I, th I think people often see, particularly if they work in other departments, um, that sales looks like a fun business. And, look, it is fun in many ways, but it's also a lot of hard work. And salespeople need to realise that it takes about 12 months. You've got to go through a full year cycle to realise the the peaks and troughs because every industry has it, um, the peaks and troughs so that you know then when you come through and you do the second year, you know, you're prepared and you know how to handle that. You basically spend the first year setting yourself up, putting in a lot of hard yards, and then the second year you can then extend from that and it kind of gives you a springboard. Um, and, I, I mean, that's what I found in my own business. It's what I've always found in, in sales in, in corporate Australia, you know, is that that's, um, that's kind of important to, to, to realise. How, how do you drive hard work, Kari, for sales team? So, so we are the owner of smaller business. We yeah. don't have 200 people. We have yeah. two sales team, yeah. one or two sales team, you know, yeah. helping us to sell our plumbing mm -hmm. equipment. Yeah. Uh, how do you... Uh, and once again, when you have a hundred sales team or two, much harder yeah. for the two, right? Because not only they can hold to the brands of the business. How do you, how do you instill the culture of hard work when it's really, really hard? I think the, the best way to instill the culture of hard work for me is to look at how you can ease the way of it. So how how are the skill, sales skills? What areas, where, where are people struggling? Where is it becoming the hardest so that we can help them get through it? So how do you upskill your sales team? Um, do you need to, if you're a small enterprise, do you need to bring someone in from the outside? Just not a lot of expense, but to bring someone in to come and talk to them, to inspire them someone that can help them see that everyone has done the hard yards at some point and that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And there is always light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I think you also need to do a lot of team building work because if we're all in it together and it's all tough, um, then we've all got to, you know, do some, you've got to balance it with a bit of fun. So you need to do some team building activities, which is hard at the moment when people are working remotely. You know, I mean, the old proverbial Friday night Zoom drinks, um, et cetera, only goes so far. But I think now that we can get together face-to-face, -to -face, it's it's good. You can bring in, and, I, and I'm also not a huge, um, hugely keen on everything being centred around alcohol in, in these kind of um, environments. Sales traditionally has always been centred around drinks after work, lunches, sales conferences with lots of alcohol flowing. I'm not sure it's conducive to a very productive team-building um, exercise. I think there's lots of other activities you could be doing with your people, whether it's a joint physical activity, you know, you can, I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, you could go and learn to rock climb together or you could go and learn to swim together or you could learn, you know, something physical and healthy that helps people come together and work together. So I think realising, acknowledging that it's tough, acknowledging that we're all in it together but that we're all going to get through it, being rolling up your sleeves and being there with your team, so don't be the absent leader. Um, you know, they're all working long hours but you're, you've cleared off to the meeting, you know, be there with them and, and be supportive. Um, and I think when, you, and celebrate success. 
So when you've had a success, when you've had a win, celebrate it. Make sure it's acknowledged. Make sure that, you, you know, you're celebrating it with people. And, of course, always look to see how you can improve performance by upskilling. Yeah. You know, Kari, what I learned as well, you know, I, you know, at the start when you talk about leadership, you say one of the attributes is do what you say or have the ability to actually do. Yeah. And when I see a lot of people, uh, not a lot, but I, I witness in my network, there's a lot of people fail when they don't do this. So they have a salespeople. Uh, say you are a plumbing business and you have two salespeople. And you keep questioning the salespeople. Why don't you do the cold calls? Well, how many calls you do today? Why don't you do? Why don't you visit the clients? Yet he or she unable to do that. So when I come back to what you say about you have no problem in picking up the phone yourself and making the cold calls. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a sales team that is really, really scared doing the cold calls, but the owner mm-hmm. actually able to sit and show the impact will be different than just being on their ears and saying, why don't you do that calls? I pay you to do that calls. Why don't you do that calls? Because that's where leaders fail, in my opinion. The minute you're actually able to sit and empathize to that problem and show it's okay, I swim with you to the other side. Uh, that way the impact happened. Uh, and that's come back to the leadership statement that you mentioned. Absolutely. And I think um, to that point, uh, uh, um, Gus, you know, you need to really think about um how you're how you're feeling about sales because if you're coming down on your sales team and maybe as you said you're not confident as a sales pe- person yourself then what are you going to do about it you know i might be a brilliant software engineer and i've come up with a fantastic app but if i can't sell it um it's not going to go anywhere so And I'm not confident in selling. And I think, well, if I hire Natalie and Gus and they're going to make it all happen for me, so I'm just going to, there you go, there's the phone, they're the leads, off you go. Um, That's not how it's going to work. So you have to learn to do these things yourself. I mean, I didn't didn't know how to market and I went and and joined an organisation that's taught me how to do marketing. So now I can post on Facebook. I can do social media because I had to go and learn it myself. Now I've... I now subsequently have hired people to do that for me in my business, but I know how to do it. So if I if so if if she gets stuck, I can help her because I've gone and and learned how to do that. Now I, I, I don't even want to do it myself, right? Like it's not it's not it will never be my passion, but I know how to do it and I can do it. Even to the extent, Natalie, Kari told me I need to do more Instagram live <laughs> using my phone. <laughs> and she actually show me how to do Instagram live. Right? So, exactly. Yeah. And you know, Kari, I'm just thinking for all everyone listening out there, and you know, they they own a business, but they don't like selling. What can they do? So if they're stuck, like they've got a business, they don't like selling, but they need to sell to have a successful business. Is there any advice you can give them? Yeah, you need to find someone in your network who does like selling and then network with them and go and have coffee with them once a week. So I have, ironically, someone that I met at a conference in the United States who we were one of 12 Australians in this conference that had like 3,000 people in it for the health and wellness industry. And ironically, she lives like five minutes walk from my house. And uh, we we met and she's a financial uh, management consulting person. But, I, but she has picked my brains quite often about selling and so we go and have coffee once a week initially when we first came back from the States from the conference and we share ideas and I would pick her brains about financial management and, um, you know, her. she had a much broader and had been in business much longer than I had in terms of financial and uh, management skills. Um, and so we'd share them. So my advice to small business owners, if sales is not your strength, then reach out. You can reach out to me. I'd be happy to have coffee with anybody. And uh, But hang on. Let me, let me, let me uh, give a clarity in here. 
the question is what should we do if we don't like selling and your answer is find a network to have coffee because curry actually am i right to say that basically what you said there is no other way you need to learn how to sell by networking it's not like networking to find someone no. to do it for you no because you can't afford it who can, who can afford that like you can't afford this that. is the key But you've got this to. You, you need to learn it yourself. I have had to learn things in this business myself that I don't like doing. You know, I don't like timetabling. Hands up. And are you <laughs> saying that sales is very important in any business? Of course it is. It's important in life. Life is all about selling. You know, how are you going to get the next job if you can't sell yourself? How are you going to get a loan if you can't sell yourself? How are you going to manage in life and make friends if you can't sell yourself? Sales is integral to life. It's so people don't often see it that way. They see this is me, and then they're selling. You know, it's it's all part of life, and it's. I think it's because when I started selling in the eighties, that's just you're telling exactly how old I am. Uh, when I started selling in the eighties, sales was a dirty word. No one wanted to do it. Everyone thought it was horrible. I started telephone sales, commission only in London. I was shown a desk, a phone, and a script, and a and a yellow pages. Off you go, sell. And that I, the only way you could pay the rent was if you sold. Um, and so I learned the hard way. But now I can smell a sale at a hundred paces. You know, because I've got that street gutter, nineteen eighties, down and dirty, hard selling. Do it now, Mr. Jones, or else send me that fax. Not even the fax. Send me that wire. That's how long ago it was with your confirmation of the sales. Um, and I think, in many ways, those skills just stick with you for life. So people see sales as that horrible, hard-nosed salesperson, but today it's very different. And it's all about building relationships. It's about nurturing. It's about looking at ways that you can exchange ideas it's about um you know uh, there's a lot of groups at the moment that you know around sydney and i'm sure all over the world where you can find business networking groups where people are swapping almost um services you know uh i i think and then you can meet customers you know that way um depending on what line you're in of course if you're b2b or you're b2c either way you're going to have to sell It's it's critical to any business that you sell that you're able to sell. See, Natalie, it's time for you to engage more with uh, Carrie. <laughs> Gus knows. You know what? When you mentioned sales is known as a dirty word, it really is still perceived as that even now. I don't think it has completely been wiped off. Like when you think of sales, you kind of go, oh, you know, I don't want to be that pushy, annoying, but you need it and. Um, Yeah, sorry. yeah. Sorry, I'm cutting you off, Natalie. No, no, that that's pretty much what it is. It's still perceived, and Gus knows. You know, when I'm saying Gus, I'm going on for you know, I've got a lead, got got to sell. But it's it, it it is still it can be tough on top of everything else that you're doing. You're still managing that as well. So that kind of dirty word that you mentioned, I still perceive it as like that now. Not in the 1980s when you mentioned. I think it's still it's still perceived as that a lot now. And I have no doubt people are listening now and going, I feel like that as well. Look, I think that's I think there are a lot of people that feel like that. I guess take the fear away. The worst that anyone can tell you is they can hang up on you. That's the worst. That's the worst that can happen. Um, people that say to you, oh, yes, um, call me back next week, call me next week, call me next week, generally from my experience of people that don't want to tell you that you have an ugly baby. You know, no one wants to say you've got an ugly baby, right? But basically they just they don't want your service, but they don't want to tell you that for whatever reason. And it's probably nothing personal. Maybe they just, you know, they, they don't like the colour of your logo. They don't, they don't want it, but they're not going to tell you that they don't, they don't like it because they, they don't want to hurt you. So they're just going to, so you've got to realize, take the emotion out of it and realize that people that reject your business for whatever reason, it's about, it's nothing to do with you. It's, it's about them for whatever reason. Obviously, if you've got a lot of people rejecting your business and you've got to have a hard look and say what's going on here. Sales is all about timing. 
So, you know, pestering people that you mentioned there, Natalie, it's it's about timing. And I often say to my team here that are on the phone to clients, don't ring them too much, just leave it. Give them a bit of time, then call them back. It's it, And that's, you know, it's like when you're making, if you're cooking, I don't know, do you cook? If you're cooking and you're making, you're making a risotto or you're making a sauce or you're you're blending something, you can curdle something, you can ruin something if you go too hard. It's a timing thing. Sales is all about timing. Um, it's about being sensitive to people, realising that people are busy. Um, and I think just being people, by and large, are nice. People really are happy to chat with you. They really want to know more about your business. If they're asking lots of questions. It's a buying sign. They want to know more. Tell them more. If you've got things that are you know are a bit not great about your business, you know, there's a saying about brag about known objections. Just brag about it. Just say, look, you know, we're you know, we're maybe not so um as we're not as fast as other organizations, but our quality is there. Or, you know, there's some other ways that you could tease out. Everything has a positive. Um, you've just got to find it. But um I think if you find someone in your network that is a good salesperson and settle up next to them, they'll be able to help you out. And what's crazy about selling is uh, a lot of people actually equally love to be sell. Uh, like the feeling to be approached and someone actually want to sell something, while some might say it's annoying, you know, how often you walk around JB Hi-Fi, or mm-hmm. I like JB Hi-Fi, or, you know, like any shop, and you actually want someone to actually say buy this like buy this like but no one come to you because for whatever reason yeah uh, you come empty-handed frustrated a little bit yeah when you actually want to be sold like you want to buy something mm. and ironically from my experience um sales people are the best people to sell to because they love to be sold to and <laughs> i and i'm often impressed when someone sells me i'm like you're really good. I've got to take it. Even though I'm not even sure I want it, but I'm just so impressed with how you sold it to me. I want it, you know. So um, I think it's an art um, and it can be learned. So, you know, I wasn't born as a salesperson. It's something that I learned. You, If you're excited about your product and the service that you offer, if you're passionate about what you do, you're, you're halfway there. You don't need much more to sell. There's a few obvious basic sales skills that you can pick up about when to close, how to overcome objections, and you can learn those on YouTube, you know. But no one has the passion or the excitement of your business but you. So you will always sell it better than anybody else. So it's your baby. And, and Carrie, I just want to ask sales strategy. Does every small business, in your opinion, or medium-large does everyone require a clear sales strategy? I think strategy might be a strong word for some small business. I mean, small business can vary in size within that small business, but micro to, to small. I think you need a sales process and you need, I don't know that strategy, strategy feels big to me, but I think you need a sales process. You need to understand the contact points with the with the customer. So when the customer enters your business, are they coming via a phone inquiry? Are they coming via an email? Are they coming via a contact form on your website? How are they coming to you? Are they coming through your social media platform? Then what's your process? Who's managing that? And then what's your process? So when a client comes to us, uh, they usually come on a landing page or contact form from our website. We then enter them into our CRM system, which then sends out a welcome letter automatically, a welcome email to them. Then someone on my team sends out another piece of detailed information that's then followed up with a sales call from me or someone else on the team. And then we book them into their introductory class and then we follow that up and see how that was and then they purchase a package and a program. That is the sales process. We then have... we have. You know, if we've rung them twice and they haven't responded, we let them go and they go in and they'll get washed through through our sales our CRM system that we use um, and we'll probably be in touch with them by an automated email service six months later. But that's 
the process. So we have our process. Now, if I had a if I have a, a small business that I'm just starting out, I still need a process. You still need to know how what's the what's the how many times are you going to touch the customer, and I mean that in terms of contact, touch the customer on their journey in your business. You need to map that out. I, I totally agree with Curry. Uh, you know, when we use the word strategy, uh, the sophistication of what we're trying to do can actually kill. Yeah. Uh, the the intent. Uh, I want to share something. So my wife, uh, about 15 years ago, owned a small business, which is supplying school uniforms okay. uh, to a school. Uh, she only did that for five years because she, um, you know, lucky enough to supply one of a very large school with 3,000 children. And I remember when she came to me with she forget about selling. She's introvert as mm-hmm. a as a character so she can't even talk publicly and she said to me what should i do i'm competing what with the largest uniform uh manufacturer in melbourne mm-hmm. you know what i said i said to her back then i said leah what you need to do is when to go to that tender process which is a catholic school and i want you to bring dylan with you mm. She says, what do you mean I bring Dylan with me? Dylan is my eldest son. Back then, he's still only like two years old or something. I said, bring Dylan to the tender process. And you say to the head of priest, which is managing the school, I'm a mom. I don't have anything that every big company got. I got that son to look after. Mm. Through your business, I can do this. They give the <laughs> Curry, They give the business. She go home and said, I got the contract. Yeah. And that i learned all this sophistication about we yeah. need to have a powerpoint we need to mm. well okay if you have the time if you have the resource do it but it come back to what you say just sell <laughs> just sell with passion sell with passion and selling is storytelling people love a story and they love a backstory so you know if it, So for me, if I tell people my swimming journey story, that is, you know, often something that helps me sell because people hear the story and they go, wow, you've been where I've been. Okay, yeah, okay, I, you get it. You understand my fears. You understand how I feel. They want empathy. Um, I think, you know, and this is a quality that I feel Um, not just in sales leadership, which is for small business owners, but in leadership in general, I feel that if you're not passionate and you don't have a vision and you're not kind, I think kindness is important and people can feel kindness. You know, when you're selling to people, they can feel you're kind, you know. If people, it doesn't matter what kind of business you're in, if you're coming to do work with people. You know, people that come to me often have water phobias, many, you know, probably a third of the people we deal with have had near drowning experiences. Um, people have had um, poor experiences in other classes or whatever. People have body image issues. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff. If you're not kind and gentle with that and you're not empathetic and, and meet that with compassion, they're not going to come to your business. You know, now if I was selling something else, like I'm trying to think of, you know, if I was selling books, if I don't, if I, if I don't come with some empathy, you know, when I go to my local bookstore, I prefer to support my local bookstore than a bigger chain because they really want to know what I'm reading. They want to know why I'm reading it. They want to know about my book club. They want to know what, what, how often am I doing it? Um, and what are the next books? Shall they get them in for me? Like people are, they're, they're interested in me. They're concerned about me. And I think if you put the customer front and centre of everything you do and you make them feel like they are very important, which they are, you will it'll pay you back in spades. Carrie, I feel like we can talk to you for another hour, maybe even another two, but I'm looking at the time and we are definitely near the end of time. But I want to touch on one item that you mentioned before, Glide. And you said you were going to come back to it. Yes. Gus, I think we know a little bit about this. Can you share with everyone what you mean by glide? Okay. So when I was learning to swim, um, one of the things that um, I was taught by my 
Aboriginal lovely teacher, John, was about the glide and that you need to hold the water. So when you're swimming, you hold your arm out and there's a glide. There's a moment when you're swimming when nothing's happening, when you might be, there might be a marginal kick, but nothing's happening. There is inactivity. The propulsion of of your body through the water in a streamlined process is for a minute period is in action and it's the glide and you actually get further and can travel faster by leveraging the glide. And, you know, in swimming, particularly at more at a more advanced level, we count strokes in a pool. So there's, you know, you we ask swimmers about their stroke count, how many strokes did it take you to get to 50 metres? Now, there'll be various numbers that will come back, but basically less is best. So the less strokes you do, the better. So you've got to hold that glide longer. You've got to hold the water longer. Um, and that's hard to do when you've got to go fast. So often when people go fast, the stroke rate will go up a little bit. But if if you can, you've got to hold that number. So I started to use that analogy when I returned into the corporate world after my swimming classes um, to my bosses talking about the glide because I felt that there was a lot of benefit in business to starting to think about holding it. In sales, we were always told activity breeds, activity breeds sales. Keep active, make the numbers, make the calls, talk to a lot of people, how many people you talk to. It's all, as I mentioned earlier, it's about a numbers game. But it's not random numbers. It's It's got to be productive. It's got to be thought through. It, there's got to be some thinking behind it. And with the glide, I learned that inactivity can take you somewhere. If you take that moment, you know, it, and and become efficient with what you do, which is what we all aim to be more efficient as swimmers, the glide is critical to that. Um, so I was using it a lot in business meetings <laughs> and my boss, I think on my last Christmas card he wrote, Kari, I'm still thinking about the glide, you know, because I would just say it's in the glide. Just, you know, just let's stop pushing our teams to do all of this activity. Let's just be really thoughtful and you know, succinct about what we're doing and, measure, and, and you know, be more efficient. So there we are. I feel like the glide is a metaphor for life. It is. And it's such a beautiful way to think of it, isn't it? It's a wonderful analogy. Thank you. Gus, I'm going to hand it over to you to wrap up. Thank you. Kari, uh, uh, once again, thank you so much for your time, donating your time on Leader Talk and also on my passion, One Bowl of Rice Uh uh, give a lot of meaning to Natalie and I, and obviously the audience as well. This is what we learned today. Uh, we start with asking you what's the top three leadership. Uh, one, if you want to be successful as a leader, you need to be authentic. You need to have a clarity in your communication and sending your message, especially the way you tell your story. You need to do what you say. I think accountability is important, you know, just to say a lot of things, but unable to do it yourself. Uh, it, it can be counterproductive. You need to keep your passion alive by teaching and sharing your passion. By sharing your passion, by teaching your pa passion, uh, you actually get that back to you. You need to develop yourself by trying new things. Uh, Kari, you are a swimmer, but you do running, you do reading, you do uh, acting classes, you do cooking. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's just by doing that, you learn a lot of other skills that you can apply back to your business. Uh, sales is a dirty word for many, but then in the absence of selling and in the absence of accepting that sales is part of your business, you cannot grow faster than uh, what you want. You need to love sales. And if you don't love sales, network with people that love sales because then they can teach you how to love sales. Mm. Um, and, and at the end, selling is important because it's part of your life. You sell every day. And then you close with glide. Glide more. Use that moment. Be effective. Be efficient. It's not about just doing a thousand strokes because you will run out of your energy. 
you want to understand how many strokes that can take you further by understanding the glide moment, the moment of not doing anything. Kari, thank you so much for your time today. On behalf of Braniac Leader Talk, uh, thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank, thank you, you, Kari. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. For more information on Leader Talk and for some great resources to help your business grow, check out brainiac.com.au. Thanks, everyone. Leader Talk. 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 Leader Talk.